Hi folks, I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Episode number 268. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Well, this episode is about why you should train with a group. In other words, why is it that you should not only form a group of fellow modern survivalists and preppers like yourself, but why you guys should also train together. And I said that I would be releasing some of the Survival Champions Club podcasts. This is the last one. There are others that I'm holding back just because there are people who did, in ma- who did make the investment and did decide to support me. And I've got some changes coming up with the way that you can support my show, which I'm going to talk about here a little bit later. But those folks deserve to have some exclusive content and not everything released. So this is the last one. Oh, I would say several months ago, maybe even a little longer than that, Mexican Joe was doing some work to help me out a lot, and I really appreciate everything that he and Super Dave have done with Northeast Texas Preppers. And he interviewed a gentleman that goes by the call sign Ghost, and they talked about why it is that you should be part of a group, why you should be part of a modern survival, common sense prepper Group. A lot of people make fun of this and they put it down and they say that, you know, it's really not going to happen and it's really not something that you should do and all you guys are just a bunch of kooks and a bunch of nuts and things like that. Now, folks, you know that I don't go tinfoil hat on you. And I'm not going to present to you something or I'm not going to bring to you something that I think is tinfoil hattish. I would say that these two guys talk about a very common sense way to be part of a group and why it makes good common sense to do it. I'm going to let you judge for yourself. I'm going to let you listen to this and kind of make your own conclusion from it. I have a certain sphere of influence. Uh, I'd like to expand that, but I do have a certain sphere of influence. We don't live all near each other, but we do pretty much take mainly self-defense and a few other things seriously, and we get together as much as we can, and we do we, we talk about these things occasionally, and really sometimes that's all it takes. That's all it takes, folks, is for you to get with somebody else and just kind of discuss this once in a while. Just make sure that you're on the same page. Build relationships. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to be best friends like Mexican Joe and Dave and, and, and Ghost are. You don't have to do that. But what you do have to do is find some like-minded people that are relatively close to you and feel like you could rely on each other in case the stink does hit the fan. You know, one day it's gonna, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I I say that all the time, and you know, you do have to prepare for all kinds of scenarios, and these two guys are going to talk about that. I'm a big believer in balanced prepping. Balanced prepping. In other words, you're prepared for as many scenarios as you can be, and you probably pick two or three that are the most common, the most likely to happen to you in your area, and then that's what you prepare on. So, here we go. Mexican Joe interviews Ghost, and it's a, it's a pretty good interview. I, I like it. Stay tuned. Okay, Mexican Joe here, helping to fill in with some interviews uh, uh, for Bob and 
uh, help out with some of the stuff, some of the podcasts for Bob. Um, what we got today is um, starting a series of a couple of interviews with a couple of different people uh, about different topics that they have. Uh, I have either worked with these people or uh, have close relationships or have even created just internet friendships and conversations with them. Um, the first in, in today's in these interviews is going to be uh, an interview with Ghost. Um, Ghost is a guy I've been training with for probably about six months. Yeah, about and, six months. Yeah, about six months. And we've, I've learned a lot from him. Um, it's been quite entertaining. And uh, we're going to go forward with this. And uh, uh, let's introduce Ghost. Uh, Ghost, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, give us kind of your background, you know, where you grew up, how you got into all this. Well, as uh, Joe said, I'm, I go by Ghost. Um, I was actually given that call sign when I was in the military. Uh, so I've, uh, I've kind of held on to that in my uh, retired civilian side. Uh, background, I actually joined the military when I was 17, uh, right out of, actually I was still in high school when I joined, I did the split up program, um, so I, I had, I got to have fun my junior summer going to basic training and not having a summer and then going back to school, uh, so that, that was awesome, um, but, uh, yeah, I joined in 2003, uh, and then after that I, I kind of got shipped out all over the world, been to Egypt, uh, Kuwait, Iraq, Qatar, I was in Saudi Arabia for a little bit, uh, Korea, all over the U.S., uh, Japan, uh, Germany, Ireland, uh, all over the place. So you, you've been more places than I have. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> you, you definitely sign up. You get to travel. So. <laughs> Fun travel and adventure. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so you, you got all over the place, and that's impressive because... You know, how old are you now? I'm almost turning 27. I'll be 27 <laughs> in August. That's just sickening to be 27 and to be more to have gone to more places than some people can spell. That's kind of funny. Um, and I can actually speak most of those languages too. Yeah, yeah. You spend a little time in some of those places and you have to learn it, or you're not going to eat. Um, what were some of your specialties while you were in the service? You, you know, I know that you were army, so in the army they call it MOSs, mm -hmm. uh, and I know I have. I have a couple of MOSs from when I was in, and then there's a couple I did uh, on-the-job training, or what we call OJT. So, what were some of, what was some of your MOSs and and cross trainings? Well, like I said, when I first went in, I was 17, and I did the split op program, and uh, I had always wanted to go infantry. I thought it was really cool. I originally wanted to go Air Force, but my eyesight was too bad, so they they kind of kicked me out because all I wanted to do was fly and blow stuff up in a plane. Isn't that what everybody uh, in the Air Force does? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> But, uh, so I ended up having to go reserves, uh, because split op doesn't offer, uh, a combat arms position. So my first MOS, or my first job, I was a, uh, transportation management coordinator in 88 November. Pretty much I was the one that, uh, tracked anything that moved, be it boat, car, train. Uh, I was the one that told it where to go, when to go how to go, with who to go. Uh, so it's kind of a logistics coordinator. Yeah, I was a logistics coordinator, okay. a glorified logistics coordinator pretty much. Okay. Um, that was actually a really fun job. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was good at it. Uh, but I didn't really, I didn't get the satisfaction out of it that I wanted. Uh, so after I came back to the States, I decided, hey, this, this reserve stuff is great. I enjoy my job, but it's not for me. 
and I re-enlisted to go active duty. Uh, and when I did that, they I changed my MOS uh, or my job, and I got a fire support specialist or a uh, pretty much we worked with artillery. Uh, so we, you were a forward observer. Yeah, I was a forward observer. We were the eyes and ears for the artillery guys and naval gunfire, airstrikes, uh, anything that we could see and blow up. We'd have people hit it for us. And that's pretty cool. And I think, so initially you were reserves? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's kind of cool. You came in and then you turned, turned around and decided to go active duty. Now I've got, I've got, uh, some artillery background and, but the forward observers that I worked with and trained with, um, I guess back in the eighties, they were just, we were just dealing with artillery, just right. different types of artillery. And now I guess in the new world way of thinking about things is, you could be calling in jets or, or, or naval gunships or anything. Right. They did, uh, the Ford Observers did a lot of uh, helicopter and airstrikes in Vietnam. Uh, they did a little bit in Desert Storm. But, I mean, since since then, we haven't done much. And, honestly, the main job of the Ford Observer is to deal with artillery and mortars. Uh, but they they have a certain select group of people who excel in their job that they'll send to uh, JFO, uh, which is through the Air Force, which is Joint Fort Observer, and there you get to learn naval gunfire, uh, fast movers, which is, you know, planes and helicopters, and then we also have the artillery and mortar base, so we get the full gambit of uh, call for fire. We can use any weapon system we want in the U.S. arsenal to blow stuff up with. Okay, and that's really cool. And I, I guess that, you know, probably what a lot of people don't understand about uh, being a forward observer uh, in the Army when I was in we call it FIST mm-hmm. um, it's still called that is finest infantry support team there you go uh, but one of the really cool parts about it is is that you are a specialist in calling in fire from beyond vision but what's really cool about it is not everybody can do that so they attach you to some pretty interesting units uh, now, now you, you've been you've been attached to some pretty interesting units and and gotten a, quite a bit of training, which you've, you've shared some of that with with us and some of our networking, uh, helping us out. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, about some of your more advanced assignments. Uh, that is very true. We we when we get attached to units, we tend to be the redheaded step stepchild of the unit until they actually figure out what our real job is and what we can do. Um, and that's that's regular army. You can. When you start getting into the more of the, the specialized roles, um, I've been attached with some uh, special operations units, uh, with some psychological operations units, because they're on the ground, too, and they also need artillery support. Um, so that, that's been really cool, working hand-in-hand hand with them uh, in, in doing something like that. So when you say special operations and, and some of you, are talking about operators. Correct. True operators. Okay. Correct. Okay. Uh, even though they... They're, you know, elite of the elite. They're the best at what they do. Uh, you know, there's always those possibilities that a Ford observer or somebody that hasn't gone through, uh, say, the Q course, for instance, or gotten their Green Beret or their Navy SEAL tab or anything out. like right, that we get attached to them and we and we go with them to help them out with what they need. See, and that's kind of unusual too, because everybody thinks that uh, special forces and SEALs and other operator uh, type organizations, they are the best at what they do. But there are a couple of specialties that they probably have a good working knowledge of, but yet 
are not excellent at. They're not the specialists in it. Right, right. I mean, I know that in special forces, you have a weapon specialist, a medical specialist, communication specialist, yeah. engineer specialist. But, you know, to call in, you know, a couple hundred pound round up to a couple thousand pound round and have it hit, you know, within 500, you know, meters of your position is not something you really want to wing much, is it? Right, exactly. <laughs> and and you got to think, too, in, in, in Tier 1 operations, like what they do, pretty much what I would do, the weapons uh, specialist or the weapons sergeant would be the one that would be trained up in, in what I could have done. But you got to think in a firefighter, a, a real-world situation, he, he's got a lot more important things on his mind than, hey, we need an artillery around here. You know, he's he's got to check his weapons, make sure what they're using is operational, make sure everybody's got what they need, uh, do, you know, proper maintenance on the stuff. So he's not always going to have that time to look into it and go, hey, we're going to need, you know, we're going to need around here. To expound on that, they are, they're trained in, in battle damage assessment, but the uh, the Ford Observers, especially the JFOs, like what I was qualified in, we actually received special training uh, to... Uh, analyze battle damage assessment, whether it's feasibly capable for us to put around in a city, in a building, how big the explosion has to be, what the casualty rate's going to be, what the acceptable collateral damage is going to be. So it's a very highly specialized uh, training that the operators, they, they touch on a little bit, but because their training is so vast that they don't have the, the finite details of everything that okay. we do. Okay. Okay, so that that kind of goes into you know how specialized you were and some of the people you worked and trained with, and I know you know it, it's hard to to bring this up and talk about it because we trained together some, and I just I know that for me um, there's a there's a couple other operators that we train with, and I think the first time I'd met you, I watched you. I thought I watched you guys uh, work a glass house. And you and this other operator walked in, and I just assumed you guys knew each other. Come to find out, that was the first time you guys had met when you met Alamo. Right. So, and to watch you guys do it, it just, it was incredible because it looked like you guys had been doing it together for years. And I was kind of new and coming into this meeting, you guys. But I think, like we had discussed after that, was the tactics are all the same and the training's all the same. Right, the t- the tactics are very similar. Now there are some variations between you know Marines, Navy, Army. Everybody has their own way of doing things. I mean, you can you can mess up something a million and million and one ways uh, because there's a million and one different ways to do everything. Uh, but when you've like uh, Alamo, the other operator, when you've been trained as he has, and uh, the way I've been trained, working with a lot of these tier one groups. I, I got the same training that they did. I was never tabbed. I never got my Green Beret, but I received much of the same training that they did so I could be in that uh, in that realm, I guess you could say. Well, and if you're following those guys around, they want you to know what, what they're doing so you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. The cross-training kicks in. Exactly. So when, when he and I got together and we did that glass house, like you said, it was I, I had never met him. That was the first time I met him. Uh, talked to him for about five or ten minutes, figured out his background, uh, and and we did the glass house. The first time was a little bumpy, just because I was trying to figure him out. He was trying to figure me out. But after the first or second time, it was it was like we had been doing it for years uh, with each other, and and that's how that's how fluid everything everything can go. That's how fluid, I guess, it's supposed to be. Right. Okay. Um. 
Well, we were we were the reason that, that really you're here is is that we we've talked about uh, uh, preppers. Um, I came in as a prepper, and I kind of uh, came in to try to network with you, which is how we met, and kind of probed you guys to see what you were doing and this and that. And I understood that you, a lot of you guys were kind of more into the militia thing, which I was not against the militia. It's just, to me, it kind of had a off-tasting connotation to it. So we kind of wanted to see who was operating in our area. And I met you guys, and it, we just hit it off from there. We've been, we've been friends ever since, and we hang out pretty much on a weekly basis. But, um, what, what is your take on, well, let's start out with, as a prepper, preppers have scenarios, and everybody has their favorite scenario, whether it be economic collapse, it could be EMP, earthquake, um, Aztec Mayan calendar. Uh, <laughs> that, was zombie, fake. that was fake, by the way. Yeah, zombie apocalypse, you know, uh, you know that kind of stuff. So, you know, everybody's got a scenario. Now, do you have a scenario? Are you more of a prepper, more militia, or you know, where where where, where are you where are you lying in all of this? Uh, well, to be honest, you you're correct. There's the the militia in in recent years. I I'd, I'd say probably the past twenty years, fifteen to twenty years, have been been cast in a in a bad light. Um, there are some crazy nut jobs out there that want to call themselves the militia, and then they go out and do dumb stuff, and oh, I'm the militia, and then you know all the bad press and all that stuff follows it and a couple bad eggs yeah you know one one rotten apple spoils a whole bushel so uh that's one of the things that we've been trying to focus on the last two two years since i've been doing this i actually am i'm rather new to be honest um is we've been trying to change the the opinion of what a militia actually is and what it actually does um as far as the prepper group goes uh, I I believe wholeheartedly in in what preppers do. Me personally, I view myself more as as militia just because I was military. I'm I'm very uh, community service uh, oriented. Uh, I love my community and where I live. I want to help it out help it out as much as possible. Uh, I want to work hand in hand with the sheriff, whatever he's got going on. I want to help him out. Um, you know, basically it comes down to being aware of what's in your community and, and helping out as best as you can, whether it be uh, a, a parade that they need extra help closing off a street or riots or natural disasters or, or what be it. You know, the my view of the militia is we're here for the people. Uh, we are the people. And, you know, everyone has to come to terms with that and realize it that, there are provisions set in place in, in the Constitution that everyone, whether you choose to uh, recognize it or not, is the militia. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's actually one of the conversations that Joe and I have had is, you know, he doesn't he doesn't like being associated with militia, and that's fine. That's his own opinion. Um, well, well not not associated, but he doesn't like having that that monitor. That stigma, that stigma, yeah, that the stigma of it. I mean, yeah. The, to me, the cross training is great, and we can get something off of it for each other. Um, <clears throat> I guess, which is perfectly acceptable. There are many people that are like that. But man, my view also is with some of the things that we have seen uh, just in our cross training with other people is that 
militia goes out into the community, and yes, they support the community, where, to me, preppers stay a, a, quite a bit closer to home within a quarter mile, in right. my case. Not necessarily secluded, but more within their own realm of control. Right, right. right. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to handle things right around my house, you know, within a mile of my house, where I know that, you know, you talked about, I mean, you were on the local fi- volunteer fire department. Right. We live in a very rural area, all of us do. And so we're, you know, there's volunteer fire departments. We don't have paid fire departments out here. So I know you've been you've been on their teams. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you are very much more uh, community uh, service oriented and being part of the volunteer fire departments and and doing that. I, I guess that's where, to me, some of my differences are is I'm trying to handle the people right in my immediate area where. As a militia member, you're going out there a little farther. Right. And in meeting with some of the other uh, militia guys and some of the cross-training and, and the networking that we've done with other guys, some of these guys have left the state, yeah. gone to other states to help yeah. with floods and all kinds of different stuff. So the militia, I guess it's, it's changed my view on the militia quite a bit. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's pretty cool. So, so you would consider yourself more of a militia person more than a prepper. I would, but... To caveat that, I would say that I don't uh, not see a need to be prepared prepper-wise. Um, not you know, not to go into specifics. I don't have a, a scenario per se. Um, me personally, I think just having one scenario is is kind of blind. I think people should be prepared for a, a full gambit of scenarios. Um, I mean, if not knocking it, but you know, if you have one and that's it, say zombie apocalypse, for instance, and you're big into zombies and watch all the TV shows, all right, that's cool. Uh, but you know, what happens if there's an economic collapse? What happens if there's a government takeover? What happens if there's a natural disaster? What happens if you know? There's all these what ifs, and I don't think people should be narrow-minded in the fact that there's only one or two scenarios that they have. I think it should be a, a full spectrum type of of prepping. Um, so that way you're you're prepared for anything, almost like a Boy Scout. Um, you know, they always prepared. Uh, I was never a Boy Scout, but I've got a lot of friends that are, and I I wholeheartedly believe that. And I I mean I prepare as much as I can financially and you know physically that I can. Do I want to be? Am I am I where I want to be? No. Uh, am I working towards it? Yes. Um, I think prepping is always a, it's an ongoing endeavor to become self-sufficient. And to um, move farther forward. And to move farther forward, if, if nothing else, you know, rely on maybe one or two other people that are within your area. Well, and you can't, you can't do it all on your own. We already know that. I mean, I've, I, you've shown me your, your pantry of stores and all your mm-hmm. canned goods that you guys have gotten put away. So that's why I kind of asked the question because, you know, I see that you you've got a, a, a garden bigger than mine. You guys probably get more yield. <laughs> I just out like of gardening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and if, if it's what I'm you like to it. do, then that's that's great. Yeah. Um. You know, so I, it kind of struck me as funny because I know you are big into the militia, but at the same time, I see that you do all the gardening, and uh, we we just had a sassafras tree drop, and yep. you wanted to harvest the bark on that, and we yeah, the roots and the leaves, and yeah, the, we we talked about a bunch of different stuff like that, and those are. Those are, to me, the more prepper skills and militia skills. Uh, militia, to me, doesn't sit in one area long enough. No. But you're a pretty good mix, I think, which has been kind of nice. Um, oh, I try to be. 
It, well, well, like like you've said, you you can't eat bullets, right? You know, you can't eat gear, you can't eat magazines, you can't eat weapons. Well, I mean, you could maybe trade it off for food, but then or, or shoot food, or shoot food. Yeah, but, but on a daily basis, um, it's hard to do. So. In my personal opinion, I think in order for a militia member to be able to serve his community, he's also got to be able to serve himself and his family. Right. Um, and that's the only way that if something does happen that, you know, the militia is actually going to be effective in what they're doing because they're not going to rely on, you know, the local government, the the national government, state government, what be it. Um you support your community, so therefore you... You have to support you, yourself. Yeah, you have to support yourself and your community. Now, going back to something else that you had mentioned when we talked about scenarios, is kind of one of the things I've come up with with scenarios is, on the prepper side, everybody starts with a scenario, but then once you get into a scenario, if you look at your standard needs of uh, shelter, uh, food, water, security, which gets into your guns and that kind of stuff, and... Getting into all of that stuff, if you get into all of your different basic needs mm-hmm. um, of all of your stuff, your food, your water, you know, and your food goes into multiple different realms, whether it's canned or, or, or dry goods or whatever, uh, food that's still walking around in the yard, food that you're growing, all of this kind of stuff. If you look at any scenario, for every scenario, you need those things. Correct. So if it's an economic collapse, if you've already got a full pantry and you've got your dry goods and you've got a garden going and you got stuff walking around the yard, you know, that's livestock, that's good. If, so that's economic. Okay, if you have an EMP, all of those things still apply. They're all right. still great. If it's something else, if it's zombie apocalypse, which the zombie apocalypse to me, the zombie thing, it started off just kind of, I ran out of books to read. Yeah, and I started reading zombie books. And the thing was, all of those other scenarios, all Tied of the other, all of, yeah, all of yeah. the other preps still work for it, except that you know it's not you know a blue helmet coming to get right. you. It's you know it's an undead person. Yeah, right. There's a, it's actually funny. The military's come out with a, a zombie manual for the zombie <laughs> Seriously, they, they have a, an FM for it now. <laughs> uh, and but you get into hurricanes and all this, and all everything's the same. The only difference when you get into hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and fires is that your stores can go away. Right. Because they wash away, they spoil, <laughs> they blow away, depending on what happens. Unless you just so happen to have an underground watertight bunker that's... Or if it's a tornado, down. if you put all your stuff in a storm shelter, then yeah. okay, you've got a place you're back to your preps have helped you. Right. So all of the scenarios really kind of tie in together. So that's kind of... I think, again, you know, we've all started with a scenario... But when once you get into it farther, you start spreading your preps diversify to where each prep will handle multiple scenarios. Right. And we're we're actually very lucky. I mean, you say that you're not exactly where you want to be. Where I absolutely love where I am because I'm not in a high fires area. Mm-hmm. I'm not in a high floodplain. I don't worry about hurricanes. We do get occasional tornadoes, and we've had them come through here. But again, we know when kind of when that weather's coming. Um, fire, fires, floods, hurricanes—none of that's really a, a big deal. Tornadoes, like I said, a little bit. Um, Speaking of tornadoes, I also do uh, storm chasing. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, adrenaline junkie. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. But safest place for tornadoes on the road. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think I'm gonna be hiding in the house. <laughs> 
but I mean, all of the all of these things. I think we're in a really good area out here in Northeast Texas, oh, where yeah. we don't have to worry about a bunch of those things. We don't have earthquakes like they have everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Although earthquakes are popping up everywhere, so for us, it's just kind of a. I, I think that we're we're. I'm not worried about my stores and my stuff going away unless there is a big fire, right? Which anybody can have that. Well, when I when I was talking about the the prepper scenarios, my my whole point behind that was is, I I know a couple other preppers and. Uh, not here in Northeast Texas. They're actually my family, um, but they're they're very they have their scenario and they stick to it and they're very blind to everything else. Yeah, um, and it's me. not they don't. Um, I think my what's my family's? Uh, I can't remember. It's a uh, EMP nuclear biological thing. So he's got all the chem suits and the every, but he he's not prepping for anything else. That's that's his main focus. And I think as as preppers, it's beneficial, like I said, to not only have your scenario, what be it, but also to kind of broaden your horizon of, hey, there are other possibilities out there as to what might happen and be prepared for it. Okay. Okay. There was was my phone. (laughs) Got another another, uh, prepper that that needs me to... Interviewing, we're dinging over here. Yeah, we're dinging over here. Okay, um, okay. Well, let's go into let's let's uh, do the subject changer. Okay, uh, on that tone. And uh, where do you at, where's your family at with this? I mean, uh-huh. you've got uh, you've got your wife, uh-huh. and then you've got other family members close by. Plus, you've got family members uh, back in Florida. I think it was right. Um, so, what, what does all your family think? Are, are you the nut job who who is you know? Running around in camis in the woods and playing army man, uh, and the guy that's storing up food for the zombie apocalypse. Where's your, what's your family think about all this stuff? Well, where I currently live, um, the, uh, my wife's grandparents, I guess you could say, they've, uh, they're older, uh, they're in their, I think early 80s, so they kind of, they were the, uh, the war babies and came off of the depression, and so they save everything and, they can everything and they cook everything and they hunt and they, uh, so out here it's actually been kind of a blessing because we, thank you, we came into that already. Sorry about that, I had to hand off an adult beverage. Oh no, it's alright. Um, so my wife and I, we, we came into that already. She actually grew up here, this is the house we're staying at is her family's house, they built it themselves. Uh, me personally, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, I'm a city boy. Uh, so you came into a family of, Homesteaders, exactly, and I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, and, and, and I'm the same way because I, I mean, me and Super Dave, we both grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, right? And you know, we couldn't get out of there fast enough, and now we live out here in Northeast Texas, and we've each got like, you know, I've got ten acres, he's got more than that, yeah. And you're out here, we, you've got a, you've got a half mile driveway, yeah. We to got to the house, yeah. We got thirty acres, and then we butt up to against. 90,000 acres of piney woods. Right, and you know, it's like, where are you going? I'm going to go for a walk in the woods. I mean, to me, growing up in the city, I want to get as far away from that as possible, which is why I really love what I do. Yeah. I mean, I know a bunch of country boys out here that really don't want to be, really don't want to be riding a mower or driving a tractor or whatever, where we actually get a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, but as far as my family goes, uh, my, my wife isn't too, big on the militia stuff she always gripes why are you spending all the money on guns and gear and all this other stuff and okay i i could probably agree with her on that just it's because i like to look cool there 
Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's not actually <laughs> every Gucci wear. Yeah, everything I buy actually has functionality to it and for a purpose. Don't get me wrong. I I'm not one of those uh, PX warriors or a, a you know Ranger Joe's Hua guy, but well, you proved yourself. And, yeah, and you're, you you practice the gear, which and getting into that, just to jump in here, I don't mean to interrupt, but I've watched you during training. And some of the maneuvers that you do are things I never thought of. You know, with weapons and stuff, I'm like, that's a scenario I, I you know, I've heard of it, I thought of it, but I've never trained it. And I sit there and watch you do it off to the side. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's because you've done it. Right. Well, I'll go back to the training, too, with, with real quick segue off of what my family thinks. Uh, you know, if for the people that have gear, chest carriers, or whatever, if you don't train with it and if it doesn't have a... a a functionality, uh, it's it's worthless. If you don't actually practice with it, know how it works in and out, use it. Um, like recently, I just took all my stuff swimming with me. Uh, went into a really <laughs> nasty snake-infested creek just to see how all my stuff would hold up because I wanted to see if it would. What would hold up. And, it, and what would hold up and what I needed to change out and fix so that way I would become more of an asset to anybody else that I that I operate with in a militia capacity. And that was some great training because we found out that some of the gear held water and then it drained water at the worst time. It was making noise. <laughs> we also found out uh, there was things I never knew about moving in the water. Um, we did find out a bunch of our gear worked well, but we also found out that there, were some elect- there was some electronic gear that didn't work so well. Yeah, I had a laser that I thought was waterproof, and it was just water-resistant. So And we and we lost a couple of radios. Yeah, that, that was a fail. Um, I did find out, actually, uh, before I get back to my family, that uh, a lot of people don't know this, that water in your barrel actually changes your shot group considerably. Really? Uh, because water doesn't displace. Or okay. it's, it's not... Even though water is water and it's fluid, it's not fluid in the bore with a bullet, so it doesn't displace correctly. And it, it evenly, it, evenly, and it throws your shots off. Okay. I actually just learned that last okay. night. But so, but the but the cleaning of the barrel and the consistent lubing and exactly. drying and three days worth of cleaning should solve that problem. Yeah, exactly. Okay, back to my family. Um, but yeah, my wife doesn't really like the militia stuff. She's kind of supportive, kind of not. It just depends on how much money I spend that month, whether she's ticking me or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you got you got to be able to. You know, have yeah. your secret money every yeah. here and there. Well, I still get my bills paid, so. There you go. Uh, but with the uh, with the, the prepper stuff, she doesn't really mind it. She, like I said, she grew up doing this kind of stuff, um, so she's a little more uh, acceptant of that. And uh, we're actually looking to move here soon. And she said uh, that you know when we do, we're wanting you know she's wanting to build up stores of food and all this kind of stuff to to be prepared. Now with the prepper stuff. And the militia stuff, she's, her and I have had talks, heated talks about it. And she doesn't believe that anything anytime soon is going to happen, that there's not going to be a government takeover or an economic collapse or anything like that. Um, and I've tried to explain it to her. I'd be like, that, that's, you know, whether it happens or not, that's not the point. Uh, well, it is kind of the point. But I was like, I'd rather be, you know, prepared than caught with my pants around my ankles. You know, you want to you want to build stuff up now, so, so that you don't want to be a sailor. Exactly. With your pants right. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry to everybody out there that used to be Navy. Um, <laughs> we're just picking on each other, and we're picking on our buddies. But uh, you know, that's what I've tried to explain to her: is hey, look, you know, I'd rather 
have the ability and know for a fact that we'd be able to sustain ourselves if, and, and that's the key word, if something were to happen or when something were, like we're going down to Florida, so we're going to get hit by hurricanes. It's going to happen. How bad they are, you know, depends. Uh, whether it's a Hurricane Andrew or whether it's just a little, you know, a thunderstorm and some wind. Uh, so, so it's it's one of those things where I'm 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 working on her little by little, day by day, to kind of more accept the fact that prepping isn't just something you do at last minute when something happens. It's, it's more of a lifestyle change. It's more of a a more uh, cognizant thought of hey, we need to. Uh, be prepared for something to happen. But but at the same time, what's kind of unique about that is that she's not into the prepping thing and the militia things, so to say, and she's also a veteran, but what's funny is she still does the farm life thing and the homestead thing, and, I mean, is she, is she into the gardening and the canning and all that, or is that more you and her family? I just think she doesn't like me to spend money. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I've seen you spend money. Yeah, you're yeah. pretty good at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> uh, to be honest, even though she grew up here, uh, her grandparents, her mom's pretty much the one that does the canning. She doesn't know much about it. I've taken an interest in it, and I know enough to do it if I had to. Um, I'm generally the one gardening. She'll always go, oh, yeah, we'll wake up early and go out to the garden, and I'll help you out. She, she never does. She always sleeps in. Um <laughs> So I've, if, if you guys are Duck Dynasty fans, you, you'll know the term yuppie. I call her a, a country yuppie because that's, that's kind of what she is. <laughs> uh, she's a country girl that wants to live in the city, and I was a former city boy who loves it out in the country, so we kind of switched roles on that. Um, but I'm, I'm working on her day by day. She does. She comes out during some of the training, and she usually come out once the serious training is over. When, when the hangout and the barbecue starts firing up, so it, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Okay, well that's kind of interesting. There's, there's a couple things there I didn't know, and of course we're trying to enlighten everybody else as to, as to what's going on. Um, okay, so we're going to kind of try to wrap this up a little bit. Okay, so in the future, um, I know that you're talking about relocating, um, but irregardless, of, like I say, even if you do relocate or whether you don't. Where are you trying to take your militia, your prepper, you know, where are you, where are you trying to go with this? I mean, I know that to me, and I think to you as well, it's a lifestyle, mm-hmm. but where are you, where, where, what are you hoping to gain with it in, in the, let's say, next five years? Well, uh, since, uh, I know that we're moving, uh, my, my family, uh, particularly my father isn't doing so well, so that's honestly why we're moving, so I can go spend some time with him. Uh, and we're actually moving back to my hometown of Orlando. Yippee, big city. Um, I'm not looking forward to it, but kind of excited at the same time. Uh, my goal is, especially now moving to Florida and not being out here in the country, you know, what, uh, how am I going to support, you know, myself and my wife if something were to happen? Um, be it militia or prepper stuff. Mainly, uh, when we move to Florida, it's going to be more focused on prepper stuff because we will be in the city. Uh, we're going to be on city water, city electric, uh, city people, city cars, city smells, you know, everything city. Um, and it's, you know, what are, what are the different situations that I'm, that we're going to encounter as a family and how we're going to deal with them? 
Uh, on the militia side, I've already actually been in contact with about two or three different groups that are down there. They're awaiting my arrival, and they're kind of happy about it. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But ultimately, militia-wise, I want to continue on what I'm doing here, you know, community service, uh, talk to people, try and rebuild the image of, of what a militia is and should be, um, doing things the right way. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty much it, just the, the community service aspect of it as far as the militia goes. Okay, now... Florida is actually one of the few states uh, in the southern half of the United States that I haven't been to. Um, it's its own country. Well, yeah. Well, so is California. And yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that state to go surfing. Um, <laughs> what? Where? Where does? Where does Florida? I mean, I don't know as much about. I know that you know. I've heard things about Florida. Tell me where you think Florida is with some of your gun laws, your liberties, constitutionality stuff. You know, where's Florida at with that? Florida's actually very conservative. Uh, it's quite similar to Texas, to be honest. Uh, there are some nuances in the laws that, that are a little bit different. Um, a couple of the counties, especially around your bigger populations, uh, are a little bit more uh, liberal uh, with their, their views. Similar um, to, like, New York State versus New York City. Yeah, yeah, similar. Um, or, say... You know Dallas, Fort Worth versus out here. You know it's, it's right. North, it's, yeah, North it's, I mean when you have a lot more population, you know the the police and the sheriff's department are going to have more to worry about. Um, so obviously, you know the the laws are going to be a little bit more stringent than if you were out in a rural area. Uh, but statewide, generally, it, it's pretty conservative. Um, I like I said, I lived there for God almost. 19, 20 years off and on. Um, I mean, I've never had any issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a shallow issue state, so concealed carry is not a problem. Having a firearm is not a problem. There's no registry, uh, just like Texas. Uh, there's, you know, there's no restrictions. They still have gun shows. They, it, it's, it's a black gun friendly state. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, so it, in that respect, it's a lot like Texas. Okay. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, well, let's try to close this up a little bit. Um, is there anything else you want to throw out there that people don't know? I mean, I know that we've covered, you know, the militia has a uh, distasteful connotation or has mm-hmm. in the past. And I think that it, I still had it until I met you and some of some of the guys that I now consider part of my network. Mm-hmm. And we train, and we train on a monthly basis. And our training network has grown exponentially because of it. Right. And we're getting training that we didn't have uh, access to before, but at the same time I I hope that we're giving training that maybe, you know, some of the some of the other guys haven't had access to with us. Right. Um what else what else do you want to throw out there that maybe, you know, maybe words of wisdom or things that you think people need to know or think about uh when they want to get into prepping or the militia or just the survivalist mentality. Well, the main thing is is don't be scared. People are scared of what they don't know. If you don't know, do your research and go find out. Like uh, what uh, Alamo? Uh, like what Alamo and I did. You know, we we started a group. Um, like what Mexico Joe did. He was curious. He wanted to know who was in his area, so he came out to one of our militia trainings um, and saw who we were, talked with us. 
you know, figured us out, and then we went from there. I mean, if if you don't want to be labeled as militia or anything like that, that's fine. Many of the groups respect that. Um, and, you know, you can go under a call sign or even make up a name. Um, you know, you don't have to give out your contact information or anything. But if you're curious and want to know more and want to know who's in your area, you know, contact them. Go, hey, this is this is who I am. I'm, I'm kind of interested. I'd like to come out and see it and try it out. You might be pleasantly surprised. Uh, there's a lot of militias out there that are not wacky, crazy nut jobs. Um, you know, but that that's up for you to decide. As long as I've always viewed it as, as long as they're locally legal, constitutional, and don't do anything uh, morally wrong, then you know there's there's nothing really to fear from them. Um, yeah, they might go play in the woods and shoot guns and stuff, but that's that's our constitutional right to do that, and it's you know it, it's really good training on what uh, Mexico Joe said too is with him being a prepper and kind of seeing what the militia does, they've gotten some really good invaluable training out of it, uh, not necessarily from the militia side, but just because of, of who uh, we were and the training that we had, we were able to give that to them. With the preppers, a lot of the, the, the preppers or the survivalist or whatever that I, that I've seen, they're so worried on, you know, them and themselves and their family that they forget, oh, hey, I, I still have to defend what I have prepared. Um, they, they got, when we've got guys in our group that their, their OPSEC is too tight mm-hmm. and it's too high. And at some point, like Super Dave says, you gotta, you gotta quit being the officers and hiding your head in the sand with just your stuff. And you gotta poke your head out and see what's out there. And that's kind of what we did was, Dave had, had decided that we needed to get out there and see who was in our area, like we talked about. And he actually assigned me to come and, and train, check out your, one of your FTXs, and mm-hmm. it worked out really well. Now along the way, over the last six months, we've made some really good friends. We've, uh, we've done a lot of good training. We have also met some of the other side, some of the bad side. And we distance ourselves from that a little bit, but sometimes you gotta get the training and take the, the bad with the good. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then you do that for a little while and then you go ahead and just distance yourself completely. So, yeah, I think the training has been great. Uh, uh, I know that, uh, Alamo and a couple of the other guys, they're, uh, they're really big on some of the stuff we're trying to train on. And I think, I think it's been a really good exchange all the way around. Well, and, and you'll find out, too, if you're a prepper or militia or, or what have you, if you're listening to this, uh, there, there's always something that you can learn from the other side, uh, always. Um, I've learned a great deal from Joe. Joe's learned a great deal from me. I, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a network, um, and it's never one-sided. Uh, I may know something he doesn't and vice versa, and uh, it's... You know, back to the prepping thing is, you can have all your preps, but if something happens, how are, how are you going to defend it if you don't know how? All of your preps just became that gang down the street's gain. Um, so you have to, you have to know what to do in that type of situation. And, in my, in my opinion, getting in with, with a, a, a good militia group, or not necessarily getting in, but training with them and networking with them, can possibly provide you with that little, with that little bit of extra knowledge and education that you could, uh, 
you know, implement into your security uh, of your of your preps. And you know what? It's kind of that's kind of a kind of a neat thing. The way you said that, I actually kind of got a mirror image of it. I always tell militia guys and gun guys, and I've got all the guns and all that stuff that you can't eat bullets. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't protect your food with nothing but food. Right. So it's the flip side. You got to have the weapons and the training to protect your stores and your retreat. But having a retreat and your food in your stores is worthless if you can't protect it. Exactly. So it, it, it is. It's a double-edged sword. You've got to be able to have good training on both sides. I mean, preppers tend to work more into the gardens and the livestock and the canning and that stuff. And militia tend to do the weapons where, as being a network, we're cross-training constantly. So it's really worked out well because we do all of it. Right. It, it's an it's, it's an entire package. And I've I've actually really enjoyed the network. I, like I said, I've learned a lot. You guys have learned a lot, and I I honestly think it's it's a near perfect marriage of of what we're trying to accomplish as as a whole. As as a whole. I agree. I agree. Well, that's really good. I think I think that's a good place to close here. Um, this is uh, uh, the interview here with Ghost. This is part one. Uh, kind of a little scenario I've come up with, and it's it's collaboration between prepper groups and militia groups. Uh, it can work. Um, it's worked well for us for the last six, eight months. Um, you don't need to jump in heavy, hard, and fast on it. Just find a group, find some people you like working with, and grow. Don't rush it. Um, tolerance and respect. Yeah, tolerance and respect exactly. And, you know, today... I, I come over here to help Ghost out with some electrical issues he's had here, and it's just friends helping friends, and that your friends have similar interests is a really great thing. So uh, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the interview. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, not a problem. Um, yeah, and I know that you've, you've been really interested in listening to some of the podcasts that me and Super Dave have done, and they've been fun, and now you get to take part in it. Yeah. So good deal. All right. Well, that's it for today. Um, we're gonna, After this, uh, we're going to get into some more interviews. I've got some more planned to kind of help uh, help out with the podcast, and uh, we'll go from there. Again, uh, Ghost, I appreciate it, and thank you much, sir. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. Okay, many thanks to both gentlemen. You know, a lot of people make fun of people who use the word militia, and... It, it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. It can be something that that makes you seem like a kook, and it can be something that makes you seem like a common sense kind of a person. It depends on how you talk about it. Maybe using that exact words might not be the best thing. Maybe you could just say a preparedness group, or a common sense survival-minded group, okay? Or an emergency preparedness group. You know, a lot of people seem to relate to emergency preparedness. So words do matter. And sometimes what you say and how you put it and how you phrase it and how you bring it across to somebody matters. Would you agree with me on that? So I hope you enjoyed this interview. I hope it's something that you got something out of. Now, I'm changing the way that you can support my show. You know, Joe said something pretty good in this in this past interview. He said, you know, you can't eat your bullets. In other words, having guns and ammo is not all you need to do to, to be prepared. I get that. But you also can't protect food with food. Your garden won't protect your homestead. So 
that's something that you got to think about. You do have to have a plan on how are you going to defend yourself. And many of you know I, ha- I have another podcast that I do called the Handgun World Podcast. The Handgun World Podcast talks uh, obviously only about firearms. My my co-instructor and my good friend Ben Branham, and by the way, one of my one of my circles, one of the members of the of the, my circle of influence that I like to put together. Ben and I do some firearms training. We produced we produced what's called the Shooters Club. Now, the Shooters Club is a collection of videos, an exclusive collection of videos. Watching videos is not firearms training. I'll say that again. Watching videos is not firearms training. But it is a good way to reinforce some of the skills that you may already know. Or at least learn some ideas of what you probably should practice to help keep yourself well defended. So, one way you can support my show here at Today's Survival com is you can become a member of the Shooters Club for $75 a year or $8 a month. What's really cool is on December 24th, we are giving away a gun. How about that? A Springfield XDS 9mm handgun on December 24th, Christmas Eve. What a cool Christmas present for somebody, huh? I'm going to use random.org and I'm going to randomly select an active member of our Shooters Club. We're also giving away five Kydex holsters made by On Your Six Designs right here out of San Antonio. On Your Six Designs. You can go to On Your Six Designs. That's the number six and you can check it out. You can see what they're all about. So five lucky winners are going to get that on December 24th and then... You're going to get 15% off of all of the classes that either Ben Branham or myself teach next year. I'm not so sure how much I'm going to be able to get out next year and teach, but whatever I can do, I'll do. Family issues are probably going to hold me back for quite a few of them. But even if you go to one of the classes that Ben teaches, he's an excellent firearms instructor, you'll get get 15% off. So how cool is that? There's some other incentives that we're working on. So besides the 36 educational videos... You're going to get a lot of really cool discounts, participate in a giveaway, maybe win a gun, maybe win a holster. Also, don't forget about my Amazon store. You can go to todayssurvival.com, click the Amazon store, and make your purchases on Amazon. Okay? So, every time you do that, every time you want to make a purchase at Amazon, go to todayssurvival.com and click the Amazon store. And make your purchases, your Amazon purchases, through my store. If you would do that every time, you know, I found out that bookmarking it might not be the best thing to do. Uh, I may not be able to get credit for everything that you buy. So instead of bookmarking it or putting it in your favorites, just remember go to todayssurvival.com and then click the Amazon store. Two clicks, two clicks will support me. Todayssurvival.com, the Amazon store link and then make your Amazon purchases. I'd appreciate that if you would do that for me. And then that way you don't have to spend any extra money. How cool is that? You can support what I do here. You don't have to spend any extra money to do that by making your purchases through Amazon. You were going to buy the stuff anyway, so why not help me out? Hopefully you enjoyed this, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show, where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.